So I jotted down a couple of the Shilas. So I'll mention uh, the first one is what I mentioned Friday night, but I, I want it. Uh, it just helps when it's recorded. Um, just to review uh, for anyone that was here, um, you know, for people that go, let's say, go to Costco or go to these large chains and they have fish, filleted fish, kosher. The question is, uh, it's obviously prepared by a non-kosher fishmonger. Uh, the question is, is it a problem? So short answer, under most circumstances, yes. Uh, let me explain. The, the, the kosher simonim of a fish is sinafir v'kaskasas, which is fins and scales. So you need scales. The halacha is that if you go to a store and you have a piece of tilapia, and it says tilapia on it, but it has no skin, you can't eat it. Why? Because you don't know that it's actually tilapia. Maybe it's not tilapia. Maybe it's a different fish. Or maybe it's a fish that they call tilapia because it's a non-kosher version that, of, of tilapia, whatever it is. Goyim don't have nemonis when it comes to this. It's not like there's a mashkiach who was watching the whole time. There's no nemonis. Therefore, it's a problem. So for in order for there to be kosher fish, for you to eat it, you have to have the scale still on it. Even the skin. Pashas, you still have to have a scale. So you can actually look at the scale. Is there any exception? So that means you can't go to any of these places and buy filleted fish. Because when you buy it, it doesn't have the scales still on, so then there's no way There's one fish uh, that the Poiskim, many Poiskim are lenient. I, I will say this, I mentioned this Friday night, the Star K does not believe in this after. The Star K holds everything's awesome. But the OU follows this view. Ravelski Zatzal heard from Ravnata Greenblatt Zatzal, who heard from Ramosha Feinstein Zatzal. The Ramosha held that there's one type of fish that you could buy even with the skin removed, and that's salmon. Because salmon's color is such a distinct color. There's no fish that has that color that is not kosher. The only fish that has that color is salmon and types of trout, rainbow trout also. It's also kosher. There's no non-kosher fish that has that color. And therefore, Amosha felt that the color of the fish is a simon muvik. It's an absolute simon that the fish is kosher. And therefore, salmon can be bought even without skin on it. That's Amosha Shita. That's the OU and the, Star K- and the CRC hold that way. There is one problem, though. And that is, even though, so you have the salmon in Costco. Salmon's kosher, and I think it's cheaper than a lot of places, so people like it. Especially Pesach time, Pesach time, I always get this to shout So, the salmon from Costco is kosher, beautiful. Here's the problem. How do you know that they didn't use the same knife to fillet, to fillet, they cut, they cut, uh, they cut uh, open a shrimp, and then they cut a salmon. Now, is it possible in such a large chain that they have special knives, it's possible. I don't know if it's as likely. I'll tell you like this. The CRC has a shita that you're allowed to go to any large chain. Not a mom and pop, you know, uh, uh, what's the, what's the, like, the Spanish version of a bodega? Not a makolet. <laughs> a bodega. So the, you're not allowed to go to a bodega. What I'm about to say does not apply to a bodega. But if you go to like a big Walmart, Costco, these type of places, the halacha is you're allowed to buy cut, fit, cut fruit. Cut fruit. Why? Because okay, it's posh, it's 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 uh, it's it's uh, 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 pineapple, whatever you know, watermelon. What's the problem? It's watermelon. It's kosher. The concern is they use the knife for shrimp. And these big places have special knives for fruit. They're not using a, They're not taking a, a meat knife. They're not doing it. A bodega. I don't know. That's why I said with the bodegas, these places. I'm not. I'm not talking. About, okay, big big chain. You're allowed to use. You buy allowed to buy cut up fruit without a hechsher, because they have special knives for the fruit. But that doesn't mean that they have special knives for pineapple. Meaning, I believe that Costco has a special fish knife. 
But I don't know if they're makbid to only use it on salmon. Maybe they'll use it on salmon and types of, uh, you know, face uh, other types of swordfish. So therefore, you have to assume that the salmon was skinned with a non-kosher knife. So you say, okay, so what's, what can I do for that? So the rule is in kasharis that if there's no heat involved and there's no soaking for 24 hours, there's not going to be an absorption of flavor. Meaning, if you take a knife and you cut, no onions, no heat, no soaking, and you take a non-kosher knife and you cut something, there's no absorbing. The problem is the layer, the surface. Meaning, I'm not concerned, let's say the Taki used a shrimp knife to cut the salmon. I'm not actually concerned that in the salmon itself there's penetrating flavor. That's not the concern. The concern is the schmutz on top. That's a concern. They have schmutz on a knife. They, they you know, wipe it on there, and then they cut it to the schmutz. So how do you remove schmutz from a fish? So the Pischei Tshuva talks about this, and he says that the Eitz is you use a very strong current of water, and you scrub the fish onto the water. You, you, you scrub it, you rub it with a knife, not with a knife, with a scrub. You, 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 you really wash the surface incredibly, incredibly well. That's the Eitzah. So if you want to buy salmon from Costco, it's permissible, according to the OU, and according to Ramosha, uh, but you just have to rinse it off and, and, and clean it really, really well under a strong stream of water to potentially remove any schmutz that's on the surface. Okay, that, that's halacha number one. I will say this, for Pesach, yes, if you buy it before. Because if there is, it's removed. On Pesach, I don't know. Before, yes. That's the general rule, by the way, when it comes to a lot of things for Pesach. I have to check it up, but a lot of things for Pesach, buy it before. The reason being is because the concern of Chometz, Koyidim Pesach is bottle. On Pesach, not. So you always want it to be before, like milk, right? You want to buy milk. Milk doesn't need a special kosher for Pesach. It's, if you can, it's better. But what's the concern? The concern is that maybe when they processed the milk, there was a little bit of chametz that mixed in. So they, the OU says, buy it before Pesach. Why? Because then the little bit of chametz will be mixed in before. Koyidim Pesach, chametz before Pesach is bottle. The problem is chametz on Pesach, meaning if the mixture became real on Pesach. So for salmon, if you buy it before, it shouldn't be a problem. I have to check. If you buy it on Pesach, Kenzan is fine too. I don't know if there's a concern of chametz, a concern of shmutz. But uh, that I have to check. But if you buy it before, it should, it should be the same halacha. Again, that, that, that's what it seems. I'll check up for Pesach for next time. Um, okay, halacha number two is snow on Shabbos. Uh, I did not know it was going to snow this past Shabbos, uh, but it did. So the question is, what is the status of snow on Shabbos? So could you shovel it, salt, all these things? So Ramosha happens to be, he had a very strict view. Ramosha held that snow is muksa. We don't pass in that way. Uh, Mishabur disagrees. So snow is not muksa. Let's assume that snow is not muksa, not like Ramosha. So what could I do? What could I not do? So first of all, you're not allowed to make a snowball. You're not allowed to make a snowman. Okay, that's fine. The reason being it's because it's boina. It's okay, fine. Can't do that. What can I do to try to get rid of the snow so that people don't slip? So it's like this. You definitely can put salt out. For sure you can put salt out. That's not a problem. The question is, are you allowed to shovel? So I'll tell you, this past Shabbos, Kenny shoveled. Kenny's the non-Jew. So you definitely can get a non-Jew to do it. It's better to get a non-Jew to do it. But the question is, if there is no non-Jew available, I mean, there's a non-Jew, Baruch Hashem, he's very happy, ready, willing, and able. But let's say there is no non-Jew. Can I shovel it myself? So it, it's like this. There's really, it's unclear what the problem is. Let, let me explain. Let's go through soft snow and like a 
thick layer of ice that you have like at this point outside is, is snow. It's not snow. It's, it's a compact layer of ice. So if it's soft snow, soft snow, there's pashtus no issue. There's really technically no issue by shoveling sh- soft snow on Shabbos. Mm. If it's hard, compact ice, even then it's unclear what the problem is. There is a, there is a svara of some paiskim that hard ice that you shovel is a problem of what's called meshava gumais. Meshava gumais means that we're afraid that you'll be sur- le- le- leveling surfaces. But on concrete, it's really not much of a problem. It's unclear what the problem is. I will say this. Because the Paiskim are not the biggest fan of shoveling on Shabbos, because um, it's exerting yourself, that, that is legitimately a problem. You're not supposed to exert yourself in shoveling. It's definitely exerting on the body. If there's a non-Jew available, get a non-Jew. If there is no non-Jew available, and you're afraid that someone's going to slip, you absolutely can shovel. You could break the ice if need be. These pais, the Paiskim are lenient. The Pischei Tshuva summarizes the whole thing. And he writes these lines. This is a Pischei Tshuva, Daf Tov Kuf Nun Aleph, on Chilak Beis of Shabbos. He says, "Malkam sheish chasha oivrim b'shavim yinazku mihachalaka shal ashalag." If you're afraid that people are going to slip, mutal lechachil lifnai sil salak ashalag mishan bezas ace. You could use a shovel, and as long as there's an eruv. If there's no eruv, then you get into problems. Assuming there's an eruv, ba'afilu kafa ashalag lekerach. Even if it became ice, reshoim l'shabra kerach. You can break it. And he even says further, you could even take hot water and pour it on it. Now that's generally not allowed. That's generally rabbinically forbidden to, to melt ice with hot water. But in case where you're afraid that people are going to fall, it's a chashash sakana, uh, they're, they're lenient. So shoveling, if, again, I would just salt it. Usually, so if you put a lot of salt, usually that solves it. But depending on the amount of salt, the amount of snow, the ice, if need be, and there's no guy around, you definitely can shovel uh, if you're afraid that people are going to fall. If people, I will say this though, you don't have to do the whole walk the whole way. Like if, if people aren't walking that, you know, you, it's, not, it's not Sunday. I wouldn't make myself crazy. But enough that people won't fall is definitely Yeshua uh, Um So the next Shiloh, I just have a couple more. I'm just going to run through them. This is just interesting. I, 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 I want to just sort of give like the ideas of Shilas because how often is it relevant? I don't know. I, I just want people to understand. Is it a problem if a non-Jew cooks fish for me? Fish is kosher, but they cook the fish. Is it a problem? So let me, let me explain. Well, what's the, what's the shayla based on? We know that there's a problem called bishalakum, which is you're not allowed to have a non-Jew cook food for you. The reason being, unless you turn on the fire or for svaradim, they have to put the food down. But again, that means that if you're not involved at all, they turn it on, cook from beginning to end, it's a problem. It's called bishalakum. Now, Bishalakum is a concern of intermarriage. That's the concern is, you go to their house, they make a meal for you, start schmoozing, and start dating. Chazal say, no, no, no eating their food. No eating food that, that, that's kosher that they cooked. No, no, that's a problem of Bishalakum. There's generally two rules for it to be a problem of Bishalakum. There's two types of foods. The reason why this is Nagaya is because a lot of times people will have cleaning ladies and maids in the house, and the kids are there, and they cook for the kids. It's a, it's a potentially a big problem. It's not like you know. It's not like talking about we want. I think I once gave a share on this on uh, someone older that has no one to take care of them. They have a, a live-in that then there's no one there to, to cook for. Okay, fine. That's a, you're talking about the kids at home. The mother's just going to the store and she's making eggs. Uh, you be careful. You be careful. You gotta be careful for a non-Jew to cook. It's a problem. 
Again, there might be a terim, but it's, it's something you should be misbehaving on. There's generally two, fo- two, two types of categories for it to be a problem with Bishalakim. One is it has to be oila al shulchan malachim, which means the type of food that's cooking, it has to be that you would serve it to a king. It has to be so choshev that you would serve it to a king. If you would serve it to a king, it's a problem. By the way, what's the definition of serving to a king nowadays? So the star K, whenever they have a Shiloh, they call up the president's uh, chef and they ask him, would you serve this to the president? The Rebelski had a different sheet that he felt if it would be served at a shmorga of a wedding. He says, that's the, that's the fancy, you know, that's a shmorga at a wedding is the best food. So that's, that's Hashiv. That's the first category. And the second category is for it to be a problem, it has to be something you'd serve to a king. And number two, it has to be inedible raw. Meaning, if it's edible raw and they cook it, not a problem. What's an example? Boiling water. They make you tea. That's fine. Why? Because water is edible raw. It's edible cooked. They, did, they didn't do much. It's not much, of a, you know, not much of a change. So the question is, is fish edible raw? Fish is something that you would definitely serve to a king. And fish historically was not edible raw. The question is, does sushi make it that fish is now edible raw that a guy can cook fish for you? Because again, if it's edible raw, then they could cook it for you because it's not much of a difference. Ravelsky and Ravshechter and Rabbi Obamosa and his tshuva uh, agrees with this as well. They feel that fish is still not considered edible raw. Why? Because even when people eat it with sushi, they don't eat fish that's raw. They eat fish that's raw with rice and with seaweed. People are still not, the majority of the world is still not holding at just taking a raw piece. That, I think it's called sashimi, right? I don't eat, I don't eat sushi. Uh, this, is, uh, this is not for me. But but even if people are eating fish that's raw, they'll eat it with rice and the seaweed and, and, and mayo and, and all these zachim. But to eat just poshit fish that's raw, that's not common yet. So therefore, fish would be a problem. Now, I will say this. According to sushi, it would be a problem. Um, I, I will say this. Two things to just walk away from this. It's, it's a much bigger sugya, but I just wanted to be part of the shiloh. One thing is, this is why you're allowed to have coffee from a non-kosher place. Right? You go into... Dunkin' or 7-Eleven, you could buy the regular coffee. Regular coffee is kosher. It doesn't need a hechsher. Because uh, it's kosher, because the beans are kosher. I was cooked by a guy, and it's beans. The answer is, because of Chassam Seifer. Chassam Seifer writes that because the bracha on coffee is shahakal, even though there's beans that are from a tree, because it's shahakal, that means we look at coffee as colored water. Water is edible raw. So because water is edible raw, coffee has the status of mayim. It's considered mayim with a flavor. And therefore you can have coffee. There's no problem with Bishal Akam on a coffee. The reason why I say this is because one of the more common questions, probably the most common thing I get, I get two categories of weird stuff that people send me. One is just pictures of doorways with question marks, like where to put the mezuzah. I've gotten used to it. I'll just get pictures of doorways. Okay, that's fine. But the other one is symbols. People will just send symbols. And they'll say, is this a good hechsher? Is that a good hechsher? So I, I don't have a magical template more than anyone else. I check the CRC. Obviously, I check the CRC. And if I happen to know who the Rav is, okay. Sometimes you'll have these places. They'll say, it's vegan. You don't even need a hechsher. Yeah, you do. Why? Because they make rice. Rice is inedible raw. And you could serve it at a banquet. So if a guy cooks rice, it's treif. You can't eat it. And then, by the way, Naruki not eat it, it asses the kalim. We paskin that Bishalakam asses the kalim, according to most opinions. So therefore, it's a problem. So uh, uh, that whole rhetoric of like, what could the problem be? There's no meat, there's no cheat. It doesn't matter. It could be a Bishalakam. Bishalakam is a major. Everyone focuses on the bugs. 
Forget about the bugs. Bishalakum is a major problem. And if the Rav doesn't take that seriously, then that's going to mess up the restaurant, especially with the kashas of it. A um, couple more shilos that I have. I have four more. I'll mention them. Uh, I'll go through the first two quickly. No, I'll go, I'll go in order. Yeah, I'm not going anywhere. I'm here till uh, after the daft thing. So I, I mentioned this. I told someone, so someone asked me recently about a woman separated challah. What should she do with the challah? So I told, I told them, I probably should have explained it. At this point, my advice at this point, and I'll explain where this is coming from. I follow what many Svardim do, which is I wrap it, double wrap it, and then I discard it. I, I don't try to burn it anymore. That's what I said. So someone got upset? What do you mean you're supposed to burn it? Let, let me explain. There is a mitzvah to burn the challah. True. We burn the challah, especially in Chutz Laaretz, because challah, first of all, we're not kehanim that we could eat it. Even the kehanim that we have are not kehanim uh, enough that we would eat it. And our challah is tameh. So it's not something we could eat. So, mitzvah to burn it. Here's the problem. To burn it properly is very difficult. And what I've noticed over time is that people are not doing it properly. What do I mean? Challah, while it's holy, for me is not kosher, right? Because I can't eat it. Therefore, if I bake challah in the oven and burn it in the oven, exposed, the steam is going to come off of the challah and actually trafe up my oven. Rabbi Olbam even warns that the people that put it in his sefer, in Minchas Chayn, he, he has a whole arichas about it, that the people that put it on the grates, they're trafing up their grates. Because that challah is, from my perspective, not kosher, because I can't eat it. And therefore, it could trafe up your grates. So how do you burn it properly? So what I was always told when I was a kid, oh, so you cover it in silver foil, you make it covered in silver foil, and you burn it. If you could do that, great. Let, 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 me, let me explain. I've noticed, from my experience, you put it in an hour, you put it in two hours, it doesn't burn when it's completely, completely wrapped. Again, if I'm wrong, b'chavo, this is a mitzia shayla. I've noticed, I remember my mother used to make challah like this, other people, they take it out after two hours, and it's completely covered, because it can't be exposed at all to the air, so it's completely wrapped, you take it out, it's just very crispy challah. It's not burnt. It's still edible. You're not doing anything. The etza is to burn it. So one way is, I guess you cover it, you try to make it thin, cover it with silver foil, cover it with silver foil, and just burn it. Just bake it until an ounce of its life. You can do that great. Another etza is if you take the, the, the grates off of the top of the oven and put it directly onto the fire. It's another etza. You can't put it on the grates because then it'll trade for the grates. Take the grates off, put it directly on the fire. You do that, it's also great. People, it's hard for people to do this. And what the Paiskim say, Rabbi, Rabbi Olbam writes this in the Sefer. He says, again, it's a mitzvah lechachila lisrefisachala. By the way, you should burn it right away. Don't keep it in your freezer. Some people have this custom, like they keep it, and they're like, I'll take care of it next week. And then what ends up happening is, you might eat it. So don't, don't do that. Get, burnt, get rid of it right away. Uh, and he says, if you're not sure, you're not sure how to burn it properly, they the, bring down from the Chazanish that you could wrap it up, double wrap it, but throw it out. And again, he says, you can't burn it exposed, you can't burn it on the grates. So that, that's where that came from. You got to discard of it. If you could burn it properly, that's the best. If you're not burning it properly, then do what I'm saying. That, that's, the, that's the two eights. Again, better to burn properly if you're able to. 
but there are many people that don't are not doing it properly, and it's exposing to the air, and it's and it's potentially trafing up the microwaves, trafing up the kitchen, trafing up the toasters. In such a situation, it's probably better to just uh, double wrap it, put in a bag, and then throw the bag out. That's uh, probably better. But like I said, if you can burn it properly, beautiful, I'm not against it, I'm aware of the concept, I just, I think of is from my experience, it doesn't end up happening well. So then they throw out the piece of silver foil, not in a bag, they throw it out, but it's a perfectly good piece of challah. And then, then, it's, then it's more mevuzadik. So, something to be aware of. I have three more shilas. The next one, it, it won't take too long. I don't know if this comes... Someone asked me this two days ago, so I jotted it down. The question is, are you allowed to go on a cruise ship to be on the boat on Shabbos? So, again, these are not my shilas for me. I, just, uh, I can't imagine something more... Uh, oh. So even, no, I'm not saying to get on the boat on Shabbos, but even to be on the boat if the cruise starts on Friday, is it a problem? So the Shulchan Aruch has a whole simon dedicated to this concept, and the Shulchan Aruch writes that generally you're not allowed to start a, a cruise from Wednesday on if you're going to be on the boat on Shabbos. You have to start before Wednesday. Now, the reason I'll give it to you in a moment, there's five reasons to the Rishayim, but there's basic, basically two shitas. Because of this, it would seem straight from the Shulchan Aruch, you are not allowed to do this. Now, I asked the person, when are you getting on the boat? So they said, Friday. The reason being is because most cruises start later in the week. You get more weekends. It's, it, cruises don't generally start on Tuesday. They start later in the week. So is it a problem? What's the hazard? So many years ago, so many years ago, I heard, I used to, I used to be very interested. You could still find them. It's hard to find. I don't know why they don't like, the OU website has them. It's hard to find. I used to be very, very uh, like addicted to these OU webcasts. The OU webcast were before Pesach, they would have these Ask the Rabbi sessions with Rabelsky and Rav Shechter. And it was, it was, uh, it was a, a real pleasure to watch them. To watch them. Um, I can't watch it after Rabelsky died. I stopped. I stopped. It got me too like, to sad. But, so they would ask these questions. And they were mostly the same type of questions. You know, like the question you asked me about the toothpaste, uh, toothpaste and, and mouthwash. Throughout the year in Pesach, is it a problem? Do you need a hechsher? Pesach because of chametz and throughout the year because there might be gelatin in it. So Rav Shechter and Rav Velsky disagree. So it was the luck of the draw of who they asked. Rav Shechter is lenient throughout the year and on Pesach. Rav Belsky holds it's a problem throughout the year and on Pesach. So if they, one year they'd ask Rav Velsky, he'd say treif. One year they'd ask Rav Shechter, he'd say fine. Another one that there was a big machlaikis is quinoa. Rav Belsky was very against quinoa and Pesach. He felt that it was kidneyous for Ashkenazim. Rav Shechter felt that it was fine. Each year they would ask, it was always the same Shilohs, because it's always like the same Shilohs on Pesach, and every year they would just ask a different Rav. So they, they'd ask Ravelsky, he would say Trev. they asked ask Shechter, he'd say, the OU has policies, but, but if you'd ask who, who they asked, they'd answer their opinion. They're not saying what they, they say their opinion. No, 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 they were both part of the OU. And the OU eventually adopted the Shita that the toothpaste is fine, like Shechter, and Kinwa is fine. Like but if you'd ask them, so that was always like the fun thing. So one year they asked, they started the question, not related to Pesach. They asked Ravelsky, is it a problem to go on a cruise on Friday? So I remember this, I remember it stood out to me. So Ravelsky said like this, there's two main problems of going on a cruise. Go, I forget about cruise, going on a boat. The Shulchan Aruch. The Shulchan Aruch says, Ein on Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. You're not supposed to go on a boat trip on Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, but it's going to be on the boat on Shabbos. What's the reason? So there's two reasons, there's two main reasons from the Paiskin. One reason is seasickness, meaning people take three days 
to allocate themselves to the boat. So if you go on the, if you start the start the trip on a Wednesday, you're going to be seasick on Shabbos, and you're not going to have Oynik Shabbos. If you start on Tuesday, you'll get used to it. That's the Shulchan Aruch. That's one, one opinion of the Shulchan Aruch, which, by the way, the Lubavitcher Rebbe, Zatzal, who usually did not get involved, he got involved in Halacha from the Lubavitch perspective, but one of the few times where he, 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 he wanted everyone to be like, be strong, was he got Rav Moshe to sign a Kol Koira that Rav, or the Lubavitcher Rebbe was upset that people were doing elective surgeries on Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. I don't mean surgeries that, I mean, uh, you know, a, a root canal. No pain. It's not like you're in a lot of pain. No, no pain, but uh, you're getting a root canal. Uh, the Rebbe used to say, if you're not allowed to go on a boat because the sea cynicus will ruin your Shabbos, having a root canal on Arab Shabbos, your mom is in pain the whole Shabbos. Who says that's mutter? Again, if you're in pain, if the doctor can only do it, blah, blah, blah. But if, if everything's equal and you're fine, like when I had my wisdom teeth pulled, I was in a tremendous amount of pain. The wisdom teeth extraction, while it was miserable, I, I, it was no option. But there are some people, they're like, oh, I scheduled a, you know, a root canal, these type of things. The Rebbe was against that because of that first reason. So Rebelsky said, if the problem with going on a boat is seasickness, you could argue these big, big cruises, while people do get sick, it's not as frequent as it was. They have Dramamine, and it's not as much of a concern. The second problem is, forget about the seasickness. Melacha will be done on Shabbos by Goyim. So you'll say, okay, and that's a problem. So you'll say, well, if it's a problem, then why is it if you get on the boat on Tuesday? The halacha is, I don't have to worry about Shabbos on Tuesday. Meaning, the problem is to go on a boat on Wednesday when you know being on a boat is going to be pikuach nefesh, right? You can't just stop a boat. So the Goyim will have to do all the mechanisms and all these things. I'm causing a guy with a heter, but I'm causing a guy to be Mechal Shabbos. I'm not allowed to put myself in that matziv to cause Chil Shabbos, albeit in a permissible way. So why is it mutter on a Tuesday? Tuesday, I don't have to worry about Shabbos. I only have to worry about Shabbos Wednesday. Tuesday is already so far away from Shabbos, I don't have to worry about it. Even though you know full well it's going to happen, that's the Shulchan Aruch. So right, Zerbelski, if these cruises, the whole problem is that the guy is going to be doing malacha for you, that's only true if it's a Jewish cruise. If it's a cruise that there's 500 people on the cruise, and 400 of them are Goyim, then you go by the majority, and the Melacha, when the guy turns the boat, he's not doing it for the 10 Jews, he's doing it for the majority of the passengers. The majority of the passengers are Goyim. That would be a Hetzer. So I asked this person, I said, is it, a, is it a Jewish cruise? She said, no, there's kosher food, but it's not a Jewish cruise. So Rebelski ended off his discussion by saying, this is what many people rely on, and while it's a good thing for you individually to be machmer, you have what to rely on, and that's the heter. So the heter of going on a big cruise on Erev Shabbos is the fact that you're concerned, you hold the problem in the Shulchan Aruch is either seasickness, which you say doesn't apply to our cruises, or the Amir La'akum problem, which doesn't apply if the majority of passengers are going. Two more shilas and end with this. Um, just a, a small ha'ara in laning that I don't think people are careful with. The Mishabura writes that you're only, you say v'zois ha By the way, the whole pointing of the finger thing, that's a, svaradim do it. Svaradim do it. I don't know all svaradim. But the makar for the pointing of the finger, the pinky, is from a man, Lois in Kisavo. He brings down the Dominican in Svat in like the 1700s 
was to do that. It's become a thing where like, it became popular recently, but it's not a thing. I, I, I'll be honest with you. Oh, Zaysa Torah. Like you want to say, this is the Torah, but you don't point with your finger, it's rude. So it's like, oh, Zaysa Torah. Okay, uh, that, that's the, the minute. So I didn't do that's one thing. I, I will say this. When I was in 10th grade, I started learning halacha. And I fell in love with the Sefer. We have a set in the front. It's called Piskachuvas. It's on the third volume, the shorter ones. And I fell in love with it because it's on the Mishabura and it has everything. And I was like, all I need to learn is the Mishabura and this, and I know everything. But what the problem was, I didn't realize you, you can't just do everything in that Sefer because you've got to look at the sources. So I saw he brings down the pointing, and then he brings down a minig that Vizay you point your tzitzis. So I was like, that's cool. I'm going to do that. Because I was like, that's a cool thing to do. And I remember I was by a bar mitzvah at the Kotel, a, uh, a Bukharian bar mitzvah. And they're all wearing jomas. And they take up the Sefer Torah and they all say Vizosatar. And I pick up my tits and they all pick up the tits. And I was like, oh, okay. And I dropped it and I was like, this is not an Ashkenazi minig. I shouldn't just, just pick stuff. But anyway, the Vizosatar is definitely a thing. The pointing or the tits thing, you follow your personal minig. Vizosatar, the Mishavura says, you only say when you see the ksav. You have to see the letters. If you don't see the letters, you don't say V'zai Satayr. The Chubas B'tzel HaChachma or B'tzal Stern implies that if you don't see it, you don't say it at all. So what a lot of times people will do is they'll just say V'zai Satayr, V'zai Satayr. Or they'll turn around and they'll see like the side. Wait till the Sefer turns to you, then see and then say it. I personally, if I don't see it, I don't say it. It's not Vizay Satara. Vizay Satara, Vizay Satara. You have to see the Ksav. You don't have to be able to make out the letters, but you have to see the ink. If you just see the side, I, I, it's, it's not so posh to say it then. You have to wait to see the letters. One last Shaila, and, uh, and then, uh, you know, I won't be here because we're doing the daf thing at 9 o'clock, but um, the last Shaila is like this. This, this happened, to, happened a couple times by me. Um, when you get an Aliyah, the Balkara points to where, you, the starting point, you're supposed to look, you get a kiss, whatever. So you have it where the person makes the bracha, the balkari starts, and then he realizes it's not the right spot. It's at the wrong spot. They, they realize, like, sometimes you have it. It says, Vayidabra Hashem it's the, There's like ten Vayidabras. So they have to roll a little bit. The Shulchan Aruch, the question is, is that a problem? So let me read you the Shulchan Aruch. The Shulchan Aruch is in Simen Kuf Mem Sif Gimel. He says, Ha'oyla likra b'tayra, the heru you get an aliyah, they point you to the spot. Shetzarech likras, uberich al you make the bracha, v'hischa likras, v'hizkirua sheparsha cheres, and you realize that's the wrong spot. Tzarech likras v'gail sefer and they have to roll the sefer so it's not just like three lines off. It's mamash a whole paragraph off. Yeshar m'shein tzarech lachs levarch, v'yeshar m'shein tzarech. You have to make another bracha. Yesh v'yesh, halacha ki yesh basra. When there's two yeshes in the Shulchan Aruch, you go with the second one. You have to make another bracha. That is the opinion of the Shulchan Aruch. So I was once in shul, not here, and that happened, and they didn't make another bracha. So I told someone, so he said, you should ask the Rav. I said, no, no, no. First of all, the Rav was put on the spot. These are tough shilas when they come up. Shulchan Aruch says, yesh for yesh, but you have to make another bracha. So what's the heter why we don't? Most people don't. Um, you don't embarrass the guy. No, it's very simple. The prima godim writes, just so you know, the Biralacha quotes the prima godim, but he says, you only have to make another bracha if you prepared the wrong parsha, meaning there could be two situations where you have the wrong spot. One is it's parsha's truma, and it is truma, but it's not Shabbos of truma, it's actually titzava. The Balkari Pasha prepared the wrong spot. In such a situation, you have to make another bracha. 
I'll tell you this in a, a, a second about that afterwards. But let's say the situation is as follows. The situation is where the Balkaira knows the right parsha. He just thought that's where Truma was. Meaning it's not that, it's not that like, you understand, the first case, the Balkaira found the right spot, but it's the wrong parsha. He prepared the wrong parsha. If it's the wrong parsha, you have to make another bracha. But says the Prima Godim, if you know what the parsha is, it's actually Truma, you just think that's Truma, but it's not, but then once you roll, everyone is back on the same page. No new bracha is required, and that's the Minig Island. Because of this, 99% of the time that there's a mistake, it's not that the Balkara prepared the wrong parsha. That rarely happens. It's that they thought that's where the parsha started, and it didn't. In such a situation, no new bracha would be required in the Prima Godim, and that's the Minig Island.